Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining us this evening. I am pleasured to have with me a guest this evening from NFL.com. You also know him as the man who's created Yards Created to evaluate the running back position. Mr. Graham Barfield. Graham, welcome to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Uh, It's an honor to be here, man. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'm excited to chop it up with you today, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, obviously, I know draft season, real busy evaluating these running backs. Obviously, we are under a week and a half away now, almost a week away from the NFL draft. So, a lot going on right now. So, you know, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. And let's just kind of get right into it. You know, this is the first time you've been on the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. So, maybe just a little bit of background about Yards Created, you know, what its purpose, what, what it's most useful for in terms of evaluating these positions to kind of get started? Sure, yeah. Yards Created is a project that I started um, four years ago now. Uh, and it basically, I, I've just kept it to college only. And essentially, um, as we know, running back and offensive line play will never be uh, truly independent on one another. But a couple years ago, I just came up with this idea to start charting plays on an individual basis and accrediting the yards that the running back uh, is due and the yards blocked for him on each play. Um, and I've kind of taken it a, t- a bunch of different avenues. Now I, I chart missed tackles. I chart um, defenders in the box. I chart personnel packages. Obviously I also chart passing down plays uh, receiving uh, all receiving and route r- routes run and pass blocking too. So it's kind of a become this like full snapshot, I guess um, I just originally intended to be rushing only, but now it's, 
uh, a full on process. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun to do every year. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great stuff. It really paints a really good picture of these running backs, kind of letting you know what they do, where they're most successful, you know, and really paint a good picture of them. And I think that's so important because like you talk about, there's so much that goes into, you know, a collegiate running back having success. It could be scheme. It could be offensive line. It could be, you know, quarterback skill position players that are drawing attention away from the defense. So the way you analyze it and break it down with yards created, I really think does a good job, you know, of bringing to the forthright some of their areas of what they do well and and those yards that they are creating and and being able to make big plays so i think it's fascinating stuff the class as a whole this year the running back group in general this year is very much a down year we don't have that saquon barkley that christian mccaffrey you know type players we don't even you know have somebody you know like years past ezekiel elliott leonard fournette you know at the top of the draft class. And most people think there might only be one guy even taken in round one, but even a little bit more big picture than that. Thoughts on the 2019 mm. running back class in general? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag, in my opinion. I think it's a little bit all over the place. Um, there are definitely, there's one guy at the top, Josh Jacobs, who I think does everything pretty well. But everyone else in this class has their warts and has their uh, small little problems. And some of them are, uh, small and, and some of them are quite large and, and possibly um, you know, career threatening. But I, I don't know, man. I, I think I've warmed like a little bit on this class the more that I've studied it. Um, and maybe I'm just getting excited because the draft is close by. But all, all by and large, I mean, I, I've been doing this now for four years and this is easily the weakest group. And um, hopefully this amazing receiver and tight end class that's coming out kind of balances out uh, some of the misfits that we have with these running backs. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I do think there's some solid players that, again, running back is one of those positions at the NFL level that a lot of the success sometimes is dependent upon so many other factors, you know. So I, I do think there's some guys that could see success at the next level, you know, in addition to, you know, Jacobs at the top and some other guys. Before we get into some of these players, again, just for people who might be a little bit unfamiliar with yards created, off the top of your head, doesn't have to be specifics. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the guys since you've been doing that that maybe have tested out towards the better end of yards created? Was there any surprise guys that maybe like, you know, tested out a lot better that the NFL didn't think as highly of, but have had success at the next level or more success than maybe what the media and the attention was giving them over yeah. these years? Well, to be honest with you, the top, I'm looking at them right now, the top 10 backs that I have um, over the last four years are, it's kind of a who's who and basically who you you would expect. Uh, Joe Mixon in 2017 still leads the way in yards created per attempt. Uh, Jarrell Henderson is second, actually. We'll get to him in a moment, maybe why he's second. Um, Kenyon Drake performed very, very well in yards created in 2016. Uh, but that was just a very small sample. But the rest of the crop is Barkley, Elliott, Fournette, Kamara, Hunt, McCaffrey. Um, there have definitely been a few guys like Kareem Hunt who have really, really popped that I've been significantly higher on than the uh, than the NFL. Uh, I was pretty high on Kamara coming out too, but I was actually a little bit worried in the way that he was used. But yeah, I mean, like it, it's identified uh, Kareem Hunt. It identified Christian McCaffrey as a bell cow back when a lot of people didn't think he was a bell cow back. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I, I mean, it's by, by no means a perfect process, but it, it's certainly illuminated, uh, like you mentioned at the top, where these guys win and where they need to improve. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's really some fascinating stuff. I mean, especially about Kareem Hunt, and I also think Kenyon Drake because Kenyon Drake was mm-hmm. a guy that not a lot of people were very high on him. I know Matt and I here at Saturday to Sunday, we were pretty big fans of Kenyon Drake. We thought he was a guy who you know warranted going in the top one hundred picks. We liked his game at Alabama, but the consensus on him was a lot of people were really down on him. So it's interesting to hear that he was someone who tested out well yeah. uh, in this, you know, in your yards created, and you know when he's been given the opportunity at the NFL level, I think he has shown that ability to make something happen and be an impactful player. You know, now with a new, you know, coaching staff in Miami, it'll be interesting to kind of see if he gets an opportunity to be a little bit more of a workhorse than he was last year, spending a lot of time there. So it's interesting. And then especially Kareem Hunt, another guy fell to the third round. He had some people who liked him. A lot of people were on the fence about whether or not, you know, they thought he was going to transition to the next level. So I think, you know, just those two names in in itself, in addition to all the who's who names, I think those are really illuminating that they did, you know, test out well in this. And I think, you know, it kind of shows, you know, in, in some ways that the process is identifying some of those guys that maybe aren't being recognized by the consensus as much. So I think that's really interesting and unique. So let's take this to this year's class. We've already mentioned them a couple of times, Josh Jacobs, you know, where did he kind of fall? Was he the one at the top of your, you know, your rating or was that, you mentioned yeah. uh, Henderson, did Henderson uh, outdo him? No, I mean, Darrell Henderson did create more yards uh, on a per attempt basis, but just based on the whole profile, I think Jacobs is pretty easily my number one running back in this class. Um, I've gone back and forth with a lot of really sharp people on Jacobs and I, I've kind of found that a, a few have talked themselves out of Jacobs and it's kind of been interesting to see him go from what I felt like maybe should have been a consensus RB one to uh, sort of not, but I'm sticking to my guns here. I, I think Josh Jacobs is, is a badass. I mean, Bama's offensive line was fantastic. Uh, they actually posted the second best score in yards block per attempt over the last four years, but don't get mistaken here. Jacobs is a very, very uh, elusive and powerful runner who almost always churns out extra yards. Um, he tied Christian McCaffrey for the ninth best score in missed tackles force per attempt over the last four years. And he actually tied Saquon Barkley for the third highest percentage of carries to create five or more yards over the last four years. Only Joe Mixon and Sony Michelle have been better. So not only is he like a consistent grinder and someone who's popping off um, you know, uh, consistent runs and also making defenders miss, he's a fantastic asset in the passing game. Uh, He averaged 2.4 yards per route run this last uh, season. That was the second best in the class behind Darrell Henderson. And he also leads the class in pass protection execution rate. I've seen a few people mention that Jacobs is a poor pass protector, but I I did not see that at all. Um, Not only just from like an objective standpoint, but from a subjective uh, standpoint as well. I I thought Jacobs was a very consistent pass protector and actually a plus pass, pass protector Uh, When you compare him to the college baseline over the last four years, I'm very, very interested to see where Jacobs would go. Um, Before I got into yards credit, I'll be honest here, Paul, I did not think he would go in the top 50. But now that I dove in and charted, um, I think it was seven games. So it was like over 250 snaps. Uh, Yeah, I'm kind of back in on Jacobs as maybe a late half, maybe back half of the first round pick. Yeah, I mean, Jacobs is a guy, I know he's Maddenized RB1. You know, we've been kind of saying all year that in a weird way, like he seems to be like almost like a blend of Mark Ingram and Mark Ingram's former teammate, Kamara, who we mentioned, like he has components of both of those guys. You talked about how effective he is in the 
passing game and ability to make people miss and make big plays. But at the same time, that physicality, that toughness, that grinding out approach is very much like a Mark Ingram. So like, I feel like he's, he's kind of bringing a little bit of both of those guys and, and he's his own unique player, but he kind of has traits and, and similarities to both of those guys. And I think that's what makes him so intriguing, right. you know, a three down player who can do a little bit of each of that stuff. You know, I think he warrants going somewhere in round one. I, it's hard right now to find a, a particular landing spot, but you know, yeah. maybe the Eagles, even though they just traded for Jordan Howard, you know, maybe the Ravens, even though they brought in Mark Ingram, a guy we're talking about, you know, but you start to kind of find maybe the Raiders. I think they're probably the one that makes the most sense with two picks in the twenties. Uh, obviously they have the early one in, in the top 10 as well. You know, they don't know about Marshawn Lynch. He'd be a guy, you know, that I think would fit in really well there. So there's a couple spots in the twenties. If not, he could fall to the early part of round two. And I mean, I think he really starts to, to kind of become a steal at that point and going on before we move on to your point. Yeah. It's, it's a little baffling to see some people coming off of him. And I don't know if it's the, the, the market share people, the people that really like to see the elite level collegiate production. I don't know if it's the athleticism component where he didn't like blow the roof off his athletic testing when he finally, you know, got to do it at his pro day or just, you know, the, the lack of, you know, what we saw from him. He's not a big time producer. He was yeah. playing, you know, committee approach there or whatever. Maybe it's any of them or all of them or part all of them, but I, I think the I think the NFL is looking past all of that. I think they're seeing what you're seeing. I think they're seeing what I'm seeing, and I think they're seeing him as the clear tier one and then a break to me yes. before we get to the next set of running backs. Because I think once you get to the next set of running backs, it's put them in a you know put yeah. them in a hat, shuffle them up, and <laughs> you know I think anybody's next five to seven could be completely different if you ask me you and, and six other 10 other people i don't think there's a lot of consistency after him at the top so i, I think he's a fascinating player it's gonna be fun to kind of see where he goes off the board next week so you mentioned henderson before so why don't we go there next because he's such a unique player to me big play threat you know versatile to impact it in the receiving game as well as a, as a big play threat in the run game what do you think about henderson yeah darrell henderson's uh, he's kind of my guy in this class. Uh, he smashed yards created, actually posted, like I mentioned at the top, um, posted the second best score in yards created per attempt over the last four years behind Joe Mixon. That is, in fact, due in large part, though, to Memphis's offensive climate and their offensive line. Uh, Memphis's run game is probably the most multiple I've charted over the last four years. And when I say multiple, it's just that they ran everything. I mean, they ran inside zone. They ran uh, you know, gap stuff. They ran man. They ran power. I mean, it was really a lot of fun. They ran counter... Uh, kind of diverse counter tray options that were really fun plays. Um, but their offensive line really carried the way there. I mean, they actually, their offensive line is the best I've ever charted over the last four years. But again, this kind of comes down to like Henderson still doing a lot of explosive stuff on his own. Um, 92% of his carries at Memphis were out of shotgun. And he finished third over the last four years in yards created per attempt out of shotgun only Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon have been better. Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott round out the top four. Um, so he's explosive on the ground, highly explosive through the air, too. Uh, he actually leads the class in yards per route run at 2.8. Uh, but the thing is, 
he, while he's a great receiver, Memphis rarely asked him to pass block. He only had two pass blocking snaps on 195 snaps that I charted. Um, so kind of interesting that Memphis didn't ask him to pass block. They really wanted to utilize him as a receiver. And they actually split him out from their formation. They detached him as a receiver out of the backfield on 23% of his routes at Memphis last year. Um, I, I think Henderson checks a lot of boxes for me from just like an explosiveness standpoint on tape. Also, his athleticism uh, at the combine definitely backs that up. Um, the big thing that I come back to with him is he just ran through just some massive, just massive Mack truck style uh, holes at Memphis. So it's a little bit difficult. I think he's been, he's, I think he's been difficult for people to evaluate based on that. Um, but once you kind of roll it all up, you, you add up the explosiveness, you add up the, the receiving ability. Um, I think he's kind of exactly what the NFL is looking for right now. A player who can handle 10 to 14 carries per game, see five or six targets and hopefully be a you know, pretty solid PPR asset for us in fantasy, wherever he goes. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like about his game. I, I could even see somebody saying, you know, we mentioned Kenyon Drake before. I don't think Drake's ever going to be a guy that gets a heavy workload or a heavy volume in terms of carries, but he offers a lot in the pass game as well. Someone could look at a guy like Henderson and say, big play threat. We can use him 10 to 14 touches. We can use him how, you know, maybe Miami two years ago really was using Kenyon Drake in a variety of ways. So I think that's interesting. And I'm so glad you brought it up and kind of talked through it. So I don't even have to kind of second uh, follow up the question is that's my my biggest concern when I watched Henderson was hard to make sense sometimes of what he was doing and what was those gaping holes. Because like I remember when I first started watching his game and taking notes, it was like those were as large holes I've seen a running back run through. The only one that even ever resembled that to me was when I watched Rashard Penny. That yep. his year coming that's, the same, out. that's the same guy I, I thought about watching him too. Is Rashard yeah. Penny ran through some massive holes at San Diego State too. And, and, and sometimes it's like, you know, for the people who go a lot on the the percentages and the college statistics, you know, like it's hard for Rashard Penny to look bad when you're looking at those stats in, in you know, San Diego State. And kind of like Henderson here. So I'm glad you kind of talk through like that being a component that, you know, you kind of got to take into account, but at the same time, he's still doing, you know, a lot of things in addition to just those plays when he had those gaping holes. But I do think that's why he makes up for a little bit of an interesting challenge for some people, very similar to when Penny was coming out as well, because this, those holes were just, it's, it's almost stunning sometimes to see like the floodgates open, like almost like the defense yeah. intentionally doing it. Like at the end of a game, when you want to let the team score a touchdown, you know, to go up eight or something to, you know, get the ball back. Like that's what it seemed like sometimes this massive hole. So interesting you know, obviously the level of competition probably has something to do with that, but you know, we can't knock him for where he played and how productive he was there. And I, I think that's kind of, you know, what you're getting at. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. It's not his fault that Memphis's offense and their offensive line was really good. I mean, just once he got to the second level, you could tell just based on the angles, the defenders were trying to get at with him, both safeties and linebackers. You could really tell the explosiveness he has because he makes those angles look just God awful because he's just so much faster and more explosive than the level of competition he played against. Yeah, absolutely. So let's transition this to, I think the guy who's probably aced the pre-draft process more than any of the eligible running backs 
I think it's Miles Sanders. I think he's a guy that maybe the NFL was higher on him, but in terms of perception, in terms of what you see on draft Twitter, I feel like Miles Sanders has made the biggest jump from the end of the college football season to where we are today, potentially being a second round pick, top 50 guy, you know, definitely probably coming off the board, no worse than round three. How did Miles Sanders look when obviously, you know, you only really focus on this year. This is a guy very limited before it backing up Saquon Barkley in the games that you watch of him from this past year. What do you think of Miles Sanders? Yeah, obviously just has the one year as a starter at Penn State, which I think is thrown a little. I, I think it's kind of made people a little bit like come on board a little bit late. Obviously, he only has 276 carries over his Penn State career. Um, I, I think Miles Sanders, like, I came into it maybe a little bit more excited for him. And then once I kind of got through the process and charting the games, I, I kind of came down uh, just a little bit. Um, he's fourth in the class behind Darrell Henderson, Bryce Love, and Josh Jacobs in yards created per attempt. Um, but it's not that he's not an explosive player. He's definitely, I think, a borderline almost bell cow worthy back. He was consistently creating yards on his own. Um, 32% of his carries created five or more yards. That's the second best rate in the class. And he's actually tied Josh Jacobs too for the second best score in this tackles force per attempt by elusiveness alone. That being said, I did feel like there was times watching Sanders just from a subjective standpoint here um, where I felt like Sanders kind of didn't necessarily either trust the blocking or know where to go on specific plays. And he would kind of float and bounce and be a little hesitant behind the line of scrimmage. And Paul, I think that's just simply reps. I, I just genuinely think Sanders needs more time to kind of um, get used to running, you know, running behind an offensive line and, and, and uh, playing at a, you know, a, a college, or excuse me, like a game level type speed because he just did not have the reps at Penn State to do it because he played behind Saquon Barkley, who happens to be uh, amazing. Um I, I, I kind of came down a little wishy-washy on Sanders too, a little bit in his pass protection and as a receiver. But again, I'm willing to kind of give that pass just because he got hurt mid-season and also we only have 13 games to scout him from. Um, I think most people have kind of come down on Sanders as either their RB2 or RB3. I've seen him as high as the, as the number one running back in a few spots, and I think that's a little bit out, outlandish, but – um, yeah, I'm with you. I have kind of a third, fourth round grade on Sanders, and I think he'll he'll likely end up going in that range. Yeah, I mean, Sanders is interesting. And some of that indecisiveness that I think you talked about, I think part of it is repetition. And also part of it is, I think sometimes, you know, especially playing behind Saquon Barkley, you sometimes see another guy doing certain things. And, you know, whether it's trying to emulate them, wanting to emulate them, I do wonder if sometimes he tried at times or even this year, tried to be a little bit Barkley-esque. He just doesn't yeah. have it in his toolbox. No, to do but, that. but you know? Barkley can get away with some of the negative gains and the and just kind of the BS behind the line of scrimmage because he's a Greek god of an athlete. Um, yeah, absolutely. Miles Sanders is not a Greek god of an athlete. He's a good athlete, but he's not a Greek god. Yeah, just out of curiosity, because you didn't mention it, I know it's usually one of the main things people bring up with Miles Sanders. In your full profile when you do this, obviously yeah. you're looking, do, do you take ball security fumbles into any way, shape, or form? Because that is, tends to be the, the, the biggest knock that I've heard on Miles Sanders is concerns about ball security. Is that something that you right. kind of include in any way in your profile or you're not really focusing on that when you're watching the film of these guys? I'll be honest, unless it is a strict like 
oh my God, this guy has terrible technique. I never really consider it just because I think fumbles just like drops are pretty random. Um, unless you have just awful technique and, and for drops, your timing with the quarterback is bad, whatever the case may be. I rarely consider fumbles in my analysis just because they're random. And some of the times they lack context. Uh, I mean, Sony Michelle was a habitual fumber, fumbler at Georgia and then didn't fumble at all last year. It's just, you know, it's just, and he plays for the Patriots, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where I just don't really consider it at all in my analysis, unless it's just an obvious case where a player has bad technique or it's just a, a very apparent on tape or through the data. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I kind of use that too. Like, I don't really knock guys for if they have some fun with I think it is very random. We saw Sony Michelle and he went to, of all places, like you said, the Patriots and Bill Belichick, you know, who's notorious for benching people who do fumble. So clearly they didn't look at him. I don't know. I think Bill Belichick, I personally think Bill Belichick just hated Stephen Ridley because Stephen Ridley wasn't good. <laughs> that, that, is, that is very possible. I guess we'll find out if Sony Michelle ever fumbles like once or twice, like early in the game. Do we see him the rest of the game? <laughs> or not <laughs> so let's let's keep this going and i'll bring up two guys because i think they're very similar uh and you can go for each one you know where we you know in between uh i'll probably pose a question and then we can hit on the other guy but i think david montgomery and damian harris are they have some similarities in terms of play style in terms of you know physicality toughness not guys who are going to be elite level athletes not guys who you know have this amazing i think burst or speed you know or long speed uh did they te- did they come out similarly when you put mm-hmm. them through yards created did one you know kind of stand above the other I definitely agree with you just from a trait standpoint that both Harris and Montgomery have very lackluster NFL burst and long speed. Now, long speed, home run speed is great to have, but it's not something that I'm like just trying to identify. I mean, it's just so rare for running back one to have home run speed and two be able to use it just because, I mean, 20 to 25 plus yard runs in the NFL in terms of percentage of your carries is just so, so low. Um, I'll start with Montgomery. I think Montgomery will get away a little bit with his lack of burst just because his feet and power are so, so good. I mean, he leads the class in missed tackles, force per attempt. Um, But I think Montgomery is best used off tackle when he can use his elusiveness and power to beat linebackers and defensive backs. Uh, Montgomery really struggled on inside carries in uh, in his yards created sample, Uh, was well below average in terms of yards created per attempt when he went in between the tackles. But like I mentioned, because he can use the, that elusiveness and his kind of feet and wiggle to beat defenders off tackle, he was very good on outside carries. Um, Montgomery is also one of the few guys in this class who showed receiving chops consistently over the last two years. I believe he caught nearly 50 balls over the last years. And he was pretty, I, I mean, sometimes with these guys, Paul, I mean, I'll get asked about pass protection. It's kind of like most college running backs suck at pass protection. Um, I won't say David Montgomery was was bad. Uh, he definitely needed a little bit of help, but almost everyone does there in that aspect. Um, I'll go ahead and flip over to Damian Harris. I, I, I don't want to be too negative here, but I really think Damian Harris is almost a borderline NFL caliber running back. Um, I came away very, I mean, he, I'm just not impressed at all in terms of where he wins or frankly, where he does not win. Um, he posted the second worst score and yards created per attempt over the last four years. Also the second worst score in missed tackles for force per attempt. And he had the fourth worst score in pass protection. Um, 
I just kind of don't know where to hang my hat with Damian Harris. Um, I know he was someone that a lot of people were kind of excited for coming out of 2017 and into his final year, but Josh Jacobs just completely blew him away in terms of, uh, in terms of his traits and, and overall NFL caliber. Um, I, I read where Harris kind of dealt through uh, dealt with injuries and played through injuries last season, but um, he really struggled to create yards on his own behind a fantastic offensive line. And that's just something Josh Jacobs did, did routinely. Um, I'll be interested to see where Harris goes just because he does have that pedigree as an Alabama back. And he did, you know, split carries with Josh Jacobs. Um, but I don't think uh, Montgomery and Harris are particularly close for me. Yeah. I mean, and listen, Montgomery for me is, is my RB four. Uh, and that's keeping in somebody who barely played this year, just because going back to his film a year before, uh, I love his game. So Montgomery's number four for me, Harris is a little bit further down, uh, it's going to be interesting because I do think, like you said, the pedigree, Alabama, five-star recruit, like that, some of that stuff really does kind of, you know, give the leash a little bit longer on some of these prospects. Just like when they get drafted, draft capital kind of yes. impacts, impacts the leash tremendously at the NFL level, you know star recruit number and what college and and you know what people think about them early on in their collegiate career sometimes does carry and hold a lot of weight you know maybe more than it should and Harris is one of those guys who I was stunned when he went back to school last year and I thought he went back and he looked at an opportunity as maybe to be the guy and then Josh Jacobs basically becomes the guy generating a lot more buzz and attention there so Harris is kind of one of those guys who like I think he's just pretty average at most things, but like I, I struggle to find an area where he really excels he is, above he is the, anyone else. He is the Paul Perkins of this class. In my yeah. Opinion. He's like, the Paul Perkins of this class. Yeah, and, and, mean, and, and Perkins had the name brand that people really liked. And people I remember as a I'm a Giants fan. I remember when the Giants drafted him, I thought he was a very average running back at best, but I remember you know, seeing some people, you know, whether it's on Twitter or even the media, like who covers the draft, they were really selling him up. And I was like, I think that's more name brand and, and you know, statistics. And in terms of traits and, and skill level, I'm not really seeing it. And everyone kind of looked at it as like, he's the next future starting Giants running back, fifth round steal. And I, I never really thought Perkins had a calling card. And that's very much how I kind of feel about Damian Harris. And in this class, yeah, maybe he is somewhere in that five to seven range. But I think that's a little bit more of the class yes. more so than his individual talent level. If he was in last year's class, he'd probably be most people like 10 or something, or maybe less than that. Yeah. Uh, you know, of all the guys that went last year, he'd be way behind carry on Johnson, I think. And obviously Nick Chubb and, and all those guys. Uh, so I think that's part of it, which is really interesting. So let's move on from there. A couple other guys I want to pick your brain about. Let's start with, you know, if Miles Sanders is the guy that I think his I'll say won the pre-draft process or generated the most buzz from when the season ended to where we are now. I think the guy that has probably seen the questions arise the most and more concerns be brought to the fort, right, is Devin Singletary at a Florida Atlantic. Obviously, elite, elite level production, touchdown numbers, all that stuff. You know, there was a lot of Shady McCoy comps being thrown by really reputable guys in the industry who covered these. And then he goes to the combine, and I can't remember 
a guy being hyped up as much to do as poorly at the combine yeah. as Devin Singletary. How does what do you think about Singletary? How does that even does that even come into your focus when you're thinking about the full profile for these guys yeah. at just how poor he tested out? Athletic testing definitely matters. Um, I will say LaShawn McCoy was also a notoriously poor tester, but just, I mean, not as nearly as bad as uh, as Devin Singletary. I mean, McCoy's 40 time wasn't fantastic, but he was very, very elite in his agility drills. Um, it's just weird, man. Like Devin Singletary is 5'7", 200 pounds. You hear that and you're like, oh, he's this like kind of speed elusive guy. And he's, he's just not. I mean, he wins through power. Um, which is just bizarre. And it's just not something that's going to transfer to the NFL level when you're 5'7 and 200 pounds, um, especially when you have a 15th percentile weight adjusted speed score. That said, I still think Singletary has, um, he's going to be very landing spot dependent um, is, is what I'll say. I mean, we'll see where he goes in about a week. Um, he ran behind just a brutal offensive line at FAU. They were the worst in class in terms of yards block per attempt. Their, um, their interior offensive line was just an absolute nightmare. Most plays, um, they average just 0.69 yards blocked per attempt on any carry in between the tackles. That's the fifth worst I've charted over the last four years. But I mean, you kind of mentioned it. It's kind of a non-starter over Singletary, right? I mean, he's five seven, two hundred pounds, and he's a non-athlete. I mean, the production is fantastic, and he earned a lot of that production because I mean, he was the, the focal point of an FAU offense that uh, didn't play a ton of very heavy competition. Um, that said, I, I kind of have like a fourth or fifth round grade on Singletary based on yards created and his athletic profile. The production, like you mentioned, is just out of this world. I, I mean, he had like, how many touchdowns did he score total? Like 65 or 70 over his career? Yeah, I mean, that, it's just mind-boggling. It was, it was mind-blowing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Singletary to me, he wins through power. And while that can work at FAU, um, the lack of long speed and truly elite elusiveness, I think is really going to hold him back at the next level. Yeah. I mean, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but like he, he probably didn't test out well in terms of his receiving components too, right? That's not really a part of his game. Did, did he show more in when you put him through? Like I know you mentioned Henderson before really yeah. showed out well. Singletary is again, when you see that size, you see that stature. If he was a prolific receiving back with that. I think that would maybe make up for some of this other stuff. And you mentioned it before. I never thought he had long speed when I watched his college film, but I did think the change of direction drills were going to be pretty good at the combine. I think that was the area that probably surprised me the most. And, and this is when sometimes level of competition does matter. He might've looked a lot quicker and, and better play speed and more agile against the guys that let's be honest, most of those guys are not going to be playing on Sundays, the guys he was playing against. And that's why sometimes level of competition does really mean a lot because sometimes, sometimes your eyes could lie a little bit to you. And I think Singletary, while yes, I think he's better than what his combine showed. I do think the combine brought to the fourth, right? That maybe what we were watching at times on film was a little bit misleading based on what he, he, what he was doing against the people that he was doing it against, if that makes sense. It, it does. And, and to go back to your point really quick, too, about uh, his, his ability in the pass game, he's last in the class in receiving yards gained per route run, but he only saw like 14 targets last season. FAU just did not throw the ball to him that often. But, I mean, his pass protection execution rate is just 70%. That's well below average. The average is around 78% over the last four years. I mean, he's just a pint-sized back who wins through power and he's a non-athlete. I mean, 
I wanted to really like Devin Singletary just because FAU's offensive line was so brutal and he is really good in terms of um, creating, uh, I think, in kind of a, for the lack of a better word, just in a crowded backfield um, because their offensive line was terrible. But yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just, there's a lot of red flags around his profile that really have me concerned. Yeah, I think you said, I think Ford's fifth round is probably probably where he's going to come off the board. But I, I feel like it's going to be interesting to see like where he gets taken and, and what's already on the roster. Because like you try to say, like okay, this is going to be his role when he gets there. But it's not like change of pace, explosive back because he doesn't have that speed component. It's not third down receiving back because he's not good in pass protection. And he hasn't really shown anything against a lower level of competition that he could be impactful in the receiving game. So it's like, what is his role going to be? He's not going to be drafted to be a bell cow running back. So is he going to just be drafted to be like a backup early down replacement for your starter when you want to give him a rest? You know, that that's tough to think that's going to transition to fantasy football and unless a whole lot of things break right on depth charts and, and stuff like that. So it, he's, he's an interesting one and it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because I know there's a lot of people who are big fans of him. who have had him in their top five, top three, top six, whatever the case may be. And again, he's somewhere in, the, I think he's like seven or eight for me. So again, it just kind of is the class more so than, than, than his overall talent level. But it, I don't see a I don't see a way for him to be a super impactful player, you know, early on and maybe ever at the NFL just because of what we were just talking about. So let's close out the night with a guy who, if he would have came out last year, I think the narrative around this player would have been very, very different. He surprised everybody by going back to school. I think I saw something on Pat to the draft that he ended up getting his, he finished off his degree that he wanted uh, at Stanford. And that's Bryce Love. Obviously, you know, a Heisman finalist last year, comes back this year, not nearly as explosive at times. The team is not as good. Then he suffers an injury. Bryce Love, first question before we even get them, break them down. When you watch a guy like Bryce Love, do you just watch his 2018 film mm. or do you go back and watch anything from his year where he was just absolutely fantastic? Yeah, I did that. I didn't want to be biased towards either one. So I ended up charting three games from uh, his nearly Heisman year in 2017 and I charted three more from this last year. So I got six in total. Um I mean, I'll be honest, man, if, if Bryce Love were fully healthy and if I knew his ankles were okay, if I knew his knee was all right, he would be my RB2 in this class. Um, again, you mentioned a few times, and it's a great way to kind of sum up this class. It, it, it truly is because of the class. I mean, Devin Singletary will be my RB6 or RB7 in that same range as you, but like if I were to re-rank him compared to the last two classes, I mean, he wouldn't even be in the top 15. Uh, Bryce Love, I do think, has that t- type of caliber to actually be a high-end running back in the NFL who constantly created on his own at Stanford. Um, Stanford's offensive line really has kind of fallen apart over the last years. They were fantastic with Christian McCaffrey in 2017, but over the last years, they have definitely kind of regressed. Um, actually, they're second worst in the class in terms of yards blocked per attempt, but that just didn't matter for Bryce Love because he's a I mean, he's just got so much natural explosiveness and power in his legs. Um, He created 5.5 yards per attempt on all of his under center carries. And this matters because Stanford's offensive uh, offense was predicated with having the quarterback under center. 64% of Love's total carries came with the quarterback under center. 
and he created 5.6 yards per attempt uh, with the quarterback under center. Only Leonard Fournette has been better over the last four years. Love also had to face a ton of eight-man boxes just because of the way Stanford's offense is designed. Um, he faced eight or more men in the box on 70% of his carries with the quarterback under center. Um, he uh, saw eight or more defenders in the box on 48% of his carries uh, in general, which is by far the highest rate in the class. Um, the biggest concerns, man, are, are very simple with Love. It's just where are we at with his medicals? Um, I, he dealt with an ankle injury in 2017, hurt his ankle against Notre Dame in 2018, and then we all know he popped his ACL in late December. Um, that's just information that only NFL teams will have, and we'll just have to see where Love comes out in his rehabilitation process. I mean, he's only like four months in right now. Um, I am very, very interested to see where he goes in day two or most likely day three. Um, but yeah, man, I, I just want to, I want to see two or three years of a healthy Bryce Love at the NFL on a rookie contract where he can just ball out and hopefully provide some, a decent, a few decent fantasy seasons for us. But, um, the ankle and knee problems are obviously very real and, and very concerning. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I think Bryce Love, and I'll just mention his name, I think Bryce Love and I think Rodney Anderson are the two running backs that could really have changed the narrative of They're this wild class. Cards. They're yeah. the wild cards in this class. Because Anderson was the guy I was talking about before. On skill alone, he's my number two. On skill and film eval only, he's my number two running back if he was completely healthy when I watched his film from last year. Obviously, the the medical red flags are brutal roof. Anderson's basically been injured every single year, but one and that one year he was playing alongside Baker Mayfield in an all-time great offense. But I really do think Anderson and Love are two guys that could easily, if the medicals all of a sudden just magically get better and all of a sudden they don't suffer health issues at the next level, I think those guys with Josh Jacobs could easily amount to being the three most impactful players at the next level. Because I do think their skill and their talent alone really is unique. There is those calling cards of what you see when you watch those guys. And, you know, I think right now, I think Jacobs, you know, I think Anderson would be being talked about very similar to be to Jacobs as a three down player who can win in a variety of ways, but he just is such a concern yeah. medically and we don't know anything about it. And I, you know, I always come back to, and I've said on here, if he goes, even Bryce Love will put them in the touch. If he goes late round three, I think the NFL thinks pretty highly of the medicals. And I, I think they're yes. feeling, I think they're feeling pretty good. All things considered with how deep of a class this is in terms of really good, strong offensive line group, great defensive group, especially for the, you know, the, the rushers and the D line. And if all of a sudden Anderson or love go before night, you know, night two ends, I think that speaks volumes on teams are really yeah. must be feeling pretty good about their medicals uh, or even even right at the top of round four. I'd be OK with, to be honest with you, because I do think there's not going to be a lot of running backs that go. I mean, you know, in, in my draft projections notebook right now, I think I have five, maybe six running backs going off the board in the top 102 picks, which is the first three rounds. And even even that fifth or sixth one is very debatable. So I don't think a lot of running backs are coming off the board the first three rounds. So even. Even if it's the top of the fourth round, I think it'll speak volumes about, you know, what the NFL thinks medically about them. But if they fall to like round six, I think I think that's a sign right there that the medical flags are, are really high. The doctors are a little bit concerned. 
you know, so I think four or five is probably where I expect them to come off the board. I hope it's more four because I do really like both these guys. And again, we talked about it before. Draft capital is a real thing, just like star value at college, you know, is kind of holds the leash a little bit longer in terms of opportunity. So I hope they end up somewhere where there's some draft capital attached to these guys because I do think they're both uh, impactful players or could be impactful players. Uh, so it was nice to hear. Bryce Love talked up a little bit because I feel like he's a guy that not a lot of people are talking about him. Uh, and I think he's going under the radar a little bit. So, Graham, this was fantastic. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Just let the audience know uh, where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work, anything else you're working on. You kind of want to let people know what you're doing. Sure, man. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, you and I pretty much, it sounds like we, we see this class the same way. I mean, um, you know, Rodney Anderson dealt with a couple hard luck injuries. Bryce loves head injury issues. I mean, it sounds like we see a lot of uh, the same things on tape. So that was really cool uh, to hear, man, because I, you know, I think you, you, uh, you know what you're talking about. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Graham Barfield. Uh, find me on the NFL.coms. Uh, I have a yards created class breakdown coming out after the draft. Um, we'll see where Rodney Anderson goes. Hopefully we have a few wild cards and surprises because this group is just not that great. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, I'm just, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So again, guys, make sure you're checking out all that stuff. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. Excellent job. Uh, as always, I know he was just recently on the Roto World podcast with Josh Norris. So uh, if you have not had a chance to listen to that also, I highly recommend getting over there uh, and checking that out as well. So on behalf of Graham, on behalf of myself, on behalf of Matt and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.